The Athletic. Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly and this is The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast on what turns out to be a huge day for the club. That's the reason why we've got the full firmament of stars on the podcast today. Not just myself, of course, but also from The Athletic, Charlie Eccleshare, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore, the A-team. Um, because, as you may or may, of course you've noticed, after announcing that the departure of Nuno Espirito Santo this morning, it appears... And we'll start here that Antonio Conte is close to taking over as Spurs manager. And it may even have happened by the time we listen to this podcast. Bear in mind it hasn't at the time we're making it, making the podcast. Charlie, you were reporting on this. Um, how close is this to happening? And is it real? Because I find it very hard to believe myself. I know. I've had so many messages from people being like, we've been burnt so many times. I can't let myself believe. Everyone's terrified. I mean... Who knows? We, you know, this has happened. There were so many times in the summer where it looked like deals were done and didn't. So, without wishing to jinx it, but yeah, our understanding is it's pretty close. And from here on in, it would be a big surprise if it didn't happen. But yeah, we've had those famous last words before. James, you were at the game. You're a Spurs fan. First of all, um, did you tell me how much you enjoyed booing the manager, driving <laughs> him out of his job, the poor man. <laughs> uh, you happy uh, yeah, now, James? We are stuck by him really through thick and thin here on the podcast. You personally, yeah, you especially, have, yeah. through your personal abuse, have driven him out of the club. Tell us about the atmosphere <laughs> in the ground on, on Saturday. Uh, it was an, it was an incredibly strange moment. Like for for that for the, the substitution of of Lucas Moura to be the thing like this the straw that broke the camel's back. It's, it's it's crazy, really. I mean, look, I didn't agree with the substitution. I thought it was strange. It wouldn't have been my instincts to have booed that in normal circumstances. But I, I maybe I got, maybe I got carried away a little bit. Yeah, sure. Are, are you proud of yourself? I'm I'm not ashamed. Okay, well, uh, and I'll I'll still say this. I mean, I'll get uh, Jack's view in just a second. I'm going to say this because I want to. There is a real conflict here, isn't there? Um, I am delighted that Nuno has been sacked. Let's use the English language, the Saxon words we have for this thing. I'm also very sympathetic towards him as a person. I think he seems to be a perfectly decent guy who just got put into a job where certainly I knew, and many others I think as well, critically among the Spurs playing staff, knew that it wasn't going to work. And to see him in virtual tears on the touchline, after, particularly after you booed him, James, um, I, th- I felt really, really sorry for the fella. And I, I, I'm glad he get, he's getting a break from what is, after all, a madhouse. Jack, you noted the booing in your piece. I think it was your, was it Charlie? I think it was you. It said, this is nothing to do with the substitution. This is two years of terrible decisions being boiled down to a point of light. Yeah, certainly there's a lot of pent-up anger and frustration from Spurs fans who didn't get to boo Mourinho. You know, during the worst days of the Mourinho era, they weren't there. And I actually think that probably sustained Mourinho in the job a bit longer than he otherwise might have been. So there's a lot of people who have you know, put up with a lot of shit over the last few years and they've done it having to watch at home on television. So I think maybe there was, I, I'm not, not going to explain other people's motives for them, but maybe there was a bit of catharsis there for Tottenham fans being able to vent some of their frustration at the direction of the club over the last two years. On the spe- One point I want to make specifically on Nuno is that obviously this has gone really badly, but I kind of feel like it, in, a, in a really important sense, it's not his fault, just because a lot of the stuff that's happened is stuff that 
anyone with, who'd done some research on Nuno would have known. You know, he's not a guy who plays attacking football. He's always been a counter-attacking defensive guy. He's not a manager with experience in successfully managing the egos of a big squad at a big club. You know, he hasn't done that successfully before. He's not a kind of loud, charismatic, dominant presence at a training ground because that just isn't who he is as a person. So the fact that it has gone so badly, I think reflects much worse on the people who gave him the job than on the man himself. Completely agree. And a lot of people we've spoken to to use that phrase, in and around uh, the club, completely agree with that. They don't understand because none of this is a surprise. If if Nuno had come in and, you know, he was normally Mr. Charisma and then we'd had him, then, yeah, you, you could understand, be like, how, you know, this is such a shame. This, is, this isn't what we thought we were getting from Nuno. Everyone knew this about Nuno. Like, and, and it's not like it's just been with hindsight. I wrote at the time of his appointment that this, this appointment, coupled with Spurs DNA and free-flowing football and all of that, was complete nonsense. And it was so obvious for everyone to see. A two-year contract is also like the smallest vote of confidence. Um, he, and I, So I, I agree. I think I do have a lot of sympathy for him. He, he looked out of his depth. I mean, I felt on Saturday that not since Moyes at United did I feel so kind of sorry for a manager because they they just looked like they weren't really good enough to be doing it by such a stretch. I mean, he hasn't just lost games, Nuno. He has been battered. Most of the games Spurs have lost, all but a, all but West Ham, they've been really, really badly beaten. And he, he just felt like he was hung out to dry, really, from the start. They were three down in four of those games. Three down in Premier League games. I mean, that is pretty damning, isn't it? I mean, I, I think it's really important not to kind of pretend that... It, He's done a reasonably good job or as good a job as could be expected. At the same time, by the same token, I think it's really important not to just allow all of the issues at the club to kind of be put on his shoulders and send him on his way and pretend that that's all going to be fine from here on in. Clearly, the problems at the club are like are coming from a far higher level than just the manager. And those are things that are going to need to change as well if they're going to get back to anywhere near the level they were three or four years ago. And that's a really important point because that's why they also needed a manager who wasn't just a head coach. And that's how Nuno's always seen himself. That's how he's always operated. And that's fine. That's understandable. That's not a bad way necessarily to be. But, you know, he came into a club in what feels like an existential crisis, you know, with all that Spurs DNA, free-flowing football. We had the Super League. We had we basically had a mutiny at the Aston Villa game just before the start of the season, throwing as well the Harry Kane whole saga that dominated the summer which he basically washed his hands of and again like this isn't a massive surprise because that's how Nuno operates but it feels like this was a time where you really needed a big strong figure and and people at the club talk about how post Pochettino post these loads were traumatic maybe that's overstating it but it's been a bruising couple of years and pretty much everyone at the club felt they needed someone to galvanize them in the way Pochettino did you know make them feel like they were part of something and that man was never going to be Nuno so just on so many levels it was it was a very very weird appointment look we're, we're um we're going off and quite rightly on onto the tangents already and looking upwards away from the technical area and up towards the boardroom because it struck me in the summer that infamous statement that Daniel Levy put out about the Spurs DNA, to me, that wasn't the most important sentence in it. It was his confession that, quote, the club had, and I quote, lost focus. Those were the words he used. Well, who's lost focus? It's only him. In his refusal to accept that what he had in 2018, before the Champions League final, which was an extraordinary manager and a group of players some of whom he paid nothing for, Deli Ali a few quid, Harry Kane nothing, 
and most of them have been re- recruited at a very reasonable level of budget. That was a that was a coincidence. That was a, a one-off. Once he refused to refurbish the team in 2018, he has gone on, Daniel, to make a series of directionless and occasionally just quite bizarre decisions about footballers. When he said the club has lost focus, of course that's true. In building the stadium as part of their portfolio, whatever that means, I'm not a, an economics expert, the thing that matters to the supporters has been neglected. And But that's you, Daniel. That's you. The problem here, Jack, is, of course, it's not a public company. It's a private company. Um, James can boo until his tongue turns purple in the ground. But unless um, Joe Lewis is dissatisfied with Daniel Levy, he's going to sit there, isn't he? The thing that struck me about that phrase, we've, we've lost sight of we've lost sight of our DNA, we, we've lost sight of what's important to us, whatever it was. You can read that in various ways, but one of the ways of reading it is the only time he's made this admission that Jose Mourinho was absolutely the wrong man for Tottenham. And this is one of the one of the many reasons why the Nuno appointment was such a bad one. Is that in many in a footballing sense, but not a personality sense, in a footballing sense, Nuno represented continuity with Mourinho. I mean, so many people that me and Charlie have spoken to recently have, have expressed words, words to the effect of like Mourinho, but a nice guy. You know, someone call it, someone on Twitter called it jokes, so that Nuno Ball is Jose Ball with a human face. You know, he, the, he, he, he's a very different personality from Mourinho, but the football, I'm afraid, is exactly the same. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. Just in case you're confused by the parrot jungle of voices, and let me remind you, I'm Danny Kelly. Also with us is James Moore, Jack Pitbrook, Charlie Eccleshare, because we're having the full crew today because Spurs are going to get a new manager. Um, at the moment, it seems to be the smart money, and you may know different by the time you hear this podcast, seems to be on Antonio Conte, a one of the absolute super elite of world managers. All right, you three, what's changed since the summer then? Why is he taking the job now when he wouldn't in the summer? Well, I'm sure that I'm sure that Tottenham will have promised him more than they were able to in, in June. I don't know specifically why the talks collapsed that time, but what we heard is that it was to do with Conte not being convinced that Tottenham were in a position to be able to challenge for trophies. There's a theory that he was wondering whether or not Tottenham would be able to raise enough money in the transfer market to be able to buy the players that he would want. On the other side, that is the Conte side, I just wonder whether Conte's realised that in fact there are not quite as many options out there for him in the marketplace as he might have expected. You know, Manchester United is a club which is often linked with him, but my, my information is that United don't want Conte. They would in fact rather have Pochettino in the summer than him. So maybe Conte's thinking, well... You know, I'm not going to get a, a top, top job this season. So why not take this one? There's also an extent to which, you know, Harry Kane now is there where, you know, that was that saga is no longer hanging over the club in quite the same way. So that's a kind of, you know, you know, you've got him to build around. 
He might also look at it and think, we're actually as bad as Spurs have been. They're only, what, five points off the top four. And, and United look vulnerable, especially with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So it does feel like getting them back in the Champions League isn't actually, you know, I, I certainly don't think that task has been made to look any harder than it would have been in the summer. I do just feel on, on just quickly point on this, like, I think Conte clearly is, is an elite coach and getting him would be amazing. But it does continue this theme a bit for me with Levy, which is he's very much reactive. He's not a visionary. I mean, Conte's best work is quite possibly behind him. He's done amazing things. But just like Mourinho, or going back, Andre Villas-Boas, obviously not the same level, but he's someone who Chelsea have already hired. Um, and and, and Paratici was the same. You know, Paratici is not a kind of cutting-edge um you know, guy who's looking to the future and shaking up the transfer market. He's, again, someone who I suspect his best work may well be behind him, but he's a known entity. And I don't know, I just feel like there are other chairmen who might roll the dice, or it's not even rolling the dice, just might have a bit more knowledge on a wider level than just going for what seems like the safest pair of hands, the surest fire hit. A bit like when England got Capello in a kind of like, well, right, we've tried everything. This guy's guaranteed success. A bit like what we thought of Mourinho. Mourinho cannot fail. You may not like him, but he will win trophies wherever he goes. I hope, And I think Conte will do well and it won't end like that, but it doesn't feel a million miles off from that sort of appointment. If it happens, what do you think about it? James? You're, you're with, your, with your Spurs head on. Are you excited by the prospect of Antonio Conte? Uh, I'm trying to kind of think back to how I felt about it over the summer, and I can't. I don't remember being like massively infused about it then. Like I remember it th- feeling like it was a, a bit of an odd fit. I mean, obviously with the benefit of or, or not benefit uh, of having experienced the last kind of three months of this season, it certainly does feel quite different. I mean, there are similarities with Mourinho, I guess. I mean, I don't, he isn't as defensive a coach as Mourinho. I think that's a bit of a misconception when people suggest that. But I mean, clearly, in terms of his personality and what he's going to demand from the players, he isn't, he's not really like an arm around the shoulder guy, is he? As, you know, I mean, no. he's, he's not quite as abrasive he, as Mourinho. He he's would, hardly Jurgen Klopp, is he? he? He is known to apply what my dear old departed dad would describe as a leather injection, i.e. a boost up the arse every now and then. <laughs> Quite. You know what's great about that? If they do get him, he'll say the same thing to Levy. I mean, maybe this is naive, but I, I, my instinct is that something must have changed in terms of the balance of power in that conversation because it, it felt like over the summer from a few of the things that we heard or read that, that Conte wasn't satisfied with what Spurs are going to be able to offer in terms mm-hmm. of like f- funds and, and like the flexibility he'd be given to to rebuild the team as Jack was mentioning before. And I I just wonder whether perhaps that situation, the, the way Spurs have gone in the last three months may have just gave Conte that little bit more leverage to go to Spurs and say, I will come, but I do want guarantees of X in the January transfer window or next summer or whatever else. I mean, whether or not that specific players or even a specific amount of money, but just like the, the idea that he will be able to bring in someone. Stupid question. Stupid question. I have. No, I don't have the answer here. I really don't. I, I'm first to admit that. What if Conte and Levy and Paritici and whoever else is involved, um, and no doubt Joe Lewis will have to be um, satellite phoned on his yacht wherever it's currently berthed. If this very public courtship part two ends up once again with Daniel stood at the altar with the flowers wilting in his hand, who who will they turn to? Where do we go from there? This is what fans will be saying to themselves as they you know as they press play uh, on this podcast. 
I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it would be utterly, utterly humiliating really? at this point. I mean, clearly, you know, the fact is that it, there's an obvious link between the fact that they're, you know, close to getting Conte. Like, they felt close to getting Conte early this morning, you know. Obviously, they would have been working on this on Sunday, you could assume. So if it collapses now, and yeah, it has, it did collapse in June, but I think they're closer now than they were in June. But if this were to collapse now, then it is just awful, really, really awful. Yeah, and bear in mind, given the humiliation of that, what was it, 72-day search, you know, they really, yes, they were, from what I've been told, they weren't going to not get rid of Nuno. They weren't going to have to have someone necessarily. If it was so, so bad, they'd have to get rid of him first and foremost. But also, they absolutely do not want another long, drawn-out saga and that's been reflected now. I mean, you've seen that, how quickly things have moved with Conte. Just on that, though, just going back a step or two, I think James is right to... Definitely, it's logical to suppose that surely now he's been given all the assurance... Assuming he takes the job, he must have been given all the assurances he needs to feel comfortable taking the job. But how many times have we seen those sorts of agreements break down in practice, even though in theory everyone's happy. I mean, the mind goes back to Mourinho. And I know there was a global pandemic that changed the dial a little bit, but, you know, that always felt like a slightly uneasy arrangement because it was kind of like, well, who's making the compromises here? Mourinho, is Mourinho going to get backed? He kept saying, no, no, I'm happy with my squad. But then sure enough, he was not very happy with how he was backed in uh, in his only summer transfer window. And it wouldn't amaze me if we see something similar with Conte, given that Conte, as we saw with Chelsea, he's not someone to kind of take it kindly if he doesn't think he's been given the investment that he should be. And and it's interesting reading James Horncastle's piece on him. He's not, it's not always the case that he's just, you know, his teams have spent tons of money, but he is demanding of his employers. And it, that dynamic with Levy and Paratici will be very, very interesting. I think having Paratici in the club now for the last three or four months actually will probably be quite a big factor in this, won't it? Because he's got his feet under the table a bit more, obviously a lot more than he did when this came around the first time around. And you just wonder whether that is going to put him in a far better position to act as the go-between between Mm. uh, Conte and Levy. Yeah, we shouldn't forget what a huge... I mean, if this comes off, what a huge triumph this is for Paratici because he's been getting a lot of stick. He was the guy who went for Nuno. Nuno is obviously a disaster. Uh, under different circumstances, you could see a way in which people started asking questions about him. But if he can land Conte, you know, let's say the third, fourth best manager in the whole world, someone who he's known for a long time, they worked together at Juventus, uh, somebody says that Paratici is the only man who really knows how to control Conte and kind of calm him down and work with him constructively. If he succeeded in getting him in, that is a huge, huge triumph. And they'll obviously have a, a very, very close working relationship together. That is a brilliant thing to have on your CV, Conte Tamer. Uh, <laughs> that, that can't be a profession for a grown man, surely. No, he needs this because, as Jack alluded to there, Nuno was his hire, and all that we've said about how much he didn't see, you know, he didn't really seem to be what Spurs needed, that suggested that the person making that decision didn't really know what Tottenham needed. And you could say, well, fair enough, Paratici had barely been inside the building, but that is alarming because you'd want someone who'd done their due diligence on the club and understood what the club had been through over the past few years to understand that Nuno on a number of levels, was a really, really misguided appointment. Let me ask you about this timing again then, because um, I was interested, one of you there said that they would have been working on this on Sunday, Conte. Can I put it to you that they were working on this perhaps in the middle of last week? Because Conte's not the sort of person who just picks the phone up and comes and manages your club. 
and I don't think I don't think I'm being uh, f- fanciful here. Whether they, they must have approached Conte before Sunday, somebody tell me. Otherwise, that looks just like mad panic again. Well, I mean, ha- having talked about the relationship between Paratici and Conte and how far they go back, I mean, it's not inconceivable that they are in fairly regular contact through the season, is it? I wouldn't have said, even if they're not necessarily yeah. talking about the job in an official sense. Sure. I, I kind of feel like in that conversation, you could gauge whether or not the dial had moved a bit. All right, gentlemen, let's assume that my nightmare doesn't come true. And at the 11th minute of the 11th hour, Antonio Conte doesn't say, do you know what? Sorry, Fabio, mate. I know we've been talking about this for three months on the phone, but um, I'm off. <laughs> it's it's still some a couple two months away from January. Anyone got any idea how he might try and shape this Tottenham squad? Apart from having a big pep talk with Harry Kane. Well, the assumption is given he's had a lot of success with three at the back, that that's um, something he'll reprise. I mean, you talked about it at Chelsea and how well it worked there. And I think we've talked about it many times. It does feel like the squad would lend itself well to that. I mean, a big part of what he does is this kind of, you're absolutely all in or you're not. Um, You know, he is extremely demanding. uh, But, you know, it's also said to be very rewarding working for him because you are absolutely maximising yourself. So... You, I'm sure people have their own views on which players won't necessarily benefit from you know being absolutely beasted on the training ground day in day out. But you would expect they're going to get a, they're going to run a whole lot more than they are at the moment. They can't run a whole lot less. They're you know bottom of all, all of those stats. So yeah, I mean you'd think tactically that would be the main shift, and then it's about getting that kind of relentlessness, that drive into all of these players, and hopefully, like I said before. Something Nuno didn't do was make them feel they were part of something. That is something Conte does. Um, you know, they feel they are and they're improving and they're developing. You know, those are the things I think he'll be trying to get across straight away. This might seem like an obvious point, but I'd be incredibly interested to see whether he switched to a back three like straight away. Because it does feel like, and I think we talked about this earlier in the season, the squad is more or less built to play with that system. Because, you know, we heard over the summer that Romero was at his best at the, in the middle of a, a central defensive three. Uh, you know, we talked before about Rodon playing on the left of a defensive three. Dyer has played in a three and done well, although actually in the middle. Both Tanganga and Davis are in, in the squad as fullbacks. They both look to me like like, like mm. wide central defenders in a three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, the Region and Rael, I think it's not too difficult. And I know that the roles are very different between an attacking fullback and a wingback, as we found with... Doherty, but look, maybe it's a solution for him. Yeah. You, but you would think Royale and uh, Region would be suited to that kind of role. Then, you know, you could play Kane and Son up front as a two, which I suspect would work quite well without having to kind of drop off over time. You kind of give them the freedom to go and do what they need to do. And then you play a free in midfield. And I think actually maybe you could play Hoiberg and Dombele, Lacelso, and not have the same problems that we've had. We've played that way of a back four. I just think with a bit more cover defensively, maybe that'll work slightly better. But I mean, you know, you've got other options, Skip and whoever else you might want to chuck in a Deli Alley. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with Ndombele and Lacelso because that's one of the big missed opportunities of Tottenham in the last two and a half years. They've bought these two really good midfielders and haven't got that much out of them, really. I mean, probably got more out of Ndombele than Lacelso overall. But you wouldn't say that either of them have come close to fulfilling their potential. I'm sure that must be on the minds of people at Tottenham. Like, how do we get the best out of these guys? 
And rather than I thought, so I I thought the best way for them would be to go for a you know progressive manager who passed the ball through the middle of the pitch, like a kind of Potter Ten Hag type. That's obviously not what they've got in Conte. But if if he can get through to Lascelles and Dombele and get them to put in the work that you need to do to play midfield for him, then they could be amazing players. I mean, I'm right in thinking Lascelles and Dombele are still Spurs. Is they're two of their three most expensive players of all time. They haven't paid for Romero yet. Mm. The problem is that they've both been somewhere between very bad and catastrophic for Spurs so far. I mean, I know you're a great fan of Lo Celso and I see him playing brilliantly for the Argentine National but he was terrible again on Saturday, admittedly in a terrible team. But I do think those two are the big, and I've said this before, they are the biggest casualties of going from one manager who signs them to one who's diametrically opposed. And that is the problem. If you, if you are going to lurch from one to the other, there's going to be collateral damage. Those two, I think, have most certainly been that. And, you know, it's always hard. They, the manager who signed them left within a few months so it, it is interesting and, and yes I don't think anyone's suggesting that Conte is especially like-minded with Pochettino but he does have a, a rich pedigree for getting the best out of players but also and on the Sun and Kane point sorry he has got a history of strike partnerships and that's something that should excite Tottenham fans I, I slightly fear and I hope I'm wrong I hope he does uh, find a way to incorporate one or both of Ndombele and La Celsa because they're obviously very, very skilled footballers indeed. Again, my waking nightmare is that the sky cameras will go to the Spurs training ground to see a giant cannon erected and to see Conte loading one or both of them into the mouth of the cannon to fire them into outer space. Um, because the, the truth of the matter is if they don't train hard, don't play hard, it's not Ndombele's fault that he uh, looks... Lackadaisical. Chris Waddle worked like a demon, but looked lackadaisical back in the day. I think he will be. He will be watching those running stats very carefully. Conte and anyone. Who, and I think this is a great thing for this current Spurs team. Anyone who doesn't put in a shift, even if you're the, the best looking player, he'll have you out of there. And I think that's really important now because it's clear in those defeats, particularly against Crystal Palace and Arsenal, and I include Manchester United, that the five percent of, of effort which turns talent into achievement on a football pitch at the highest level is just absolutely lacking. Yeah, so Spurs have got the lowest um, distance covered in the league this season, which is damning really, given that one of the things when Nuno came in was that Spurs said, you know, now's the time to get the players fit again, given how how their fitness had gone from being the fittest team in the country under Pochettino much further down the rankings under Mourinho, because of Mourinho's different approach. So it's going to be really fascinating to see. I mean, I'm sure that Conte will get the get Spurs fitter again back when he was interviewed in June for the job he did promise that he would get Spurs fitter and he's obviously got a great a great record in particularly this department I'm also interested in seeing the reaction from Kane you know we've, we've talked about this far too much in this podcast this season but he just he doesn't look himself at the moment I, we've we wondered whether or not that's physical or mental but now that he is you know assuming this goes through getting the chance to work with one of the best managers in the world Maybe this will be the spark that will turn him back into, you know, the cane that we all know and love. Just, just on that, Danny, your your shooting out of a cannon is is very. Um, it's probably illegal. Yeah, but, but I mean, he has <laughs> Conte has said previously, uh, if someone hasn't a good attitude in the training session or good behaviour in different circumstances, I prefer to kill him. That was the exact quote. Yes. So yeah, you it, it might be more literal than you're thinking. Than you're thinking. <laughs> Allowing for it being in a second uh, language, let's hope we won't actually see. I mean, it will be classic Spurs. They sign Con- <laughs> sign Conte on the Monday. He fires he fires Ndombele out of a cannon Tuesday, and the constabulary there Wednesday, and we see him going away with a bag over his head in, in handcuffs. And we've got to write the inside story of Ndombele being fired out of a cannon. <laughs> 
I'll tell you what's enjoyable, chaps. We're, at least we're laughing about the possibility of overskilled technical players being fired out of cannons because <laughs> the last few weeks, all we've done is sat here um, scratching our heads about how on earth they were going to improve these performances when the manager was so clearly ill-fitting for the gig that into which he had been, not forced, but had been fitted in. And so I think I mean, there's a level of optimism, I think, at least that that mistake has been, if not rectified, at least acknowledged. And we'll see what happens over the next uh, few hours. But like I say, by the time you hear my voice, uh, Antonio Conte may be the Spurs manager and he will be a very, very different Spurs manager than any they've had before. And one of the things that he might do, and Jack, you brought this to my attention, in order to get on the right side of Spurs fans, apart from making the players run a bit, is that he might want to stoke up his um, ongoing feud with Jose Mourinho. Yeah, so I think this, I actually think it's not an ongoing feud. I think the feud has been settled and they did famously shake hands (laughs) at the conclusion of the feud at a Chelsea Man United game in 2018. But for for listeners who might not remember, they had an incredible war of words in January 2018. The highlight of which was Conte calling Mourinho a little man in any circumstances. He said he was a little man in the past, a little man in the present, and I presume a little man in the future. He said he was fake as well. I think it was a reaction to Mourinho wearing a tracksuit top with CR written on in apparent solidarity with Claudio Ranieri after Ranieri's sacking (laughs) by Leicester City. Uh, it also involved uh, the accusations of dementia senile, uh, senile dementia in Italian, which Conte was throwing around. And yeah, I think it's one of the, I think it's the best war of words in Premier League history. It also included Conte famously inventing the phrase Mourinho season to refer mm. to Chelsea's shocking 2015-16 season, during which Mourinho was sacked, and after which Conte came in and won the league. Uh, and by the way, we should then say that Conte then had a Mourinho season after that, didn't he? It wasn't full. It wasn't a full Mourinho season. It was just a bad season. They won the FA Cup, yeah, and came fifth. But we'll, there we'll is take mo- it. We'll take it. Yeah, I mean, but that is still ongoing. Then there's been more since then because when Inter were trying to sign Christian Eriksen in January 2020, Mourinho, uh, you know, he uh, said angrily about how con- you know Mourinho did one of those things where it's like I never talk about other teams' players. You know, I would never do that. Unlike some people, and I d- can't remember if you mentioned Antonio Conte by name, but it was very, very clear that was the inference. Even though Conte hadn't really mentioned Eriksen by name, he'd sort of played it down. But so, so I think we can say that tension as of then, unless it's been resolved since, is still there. Yeah, well, I think Jose's got uh, other things to worry about now as the initial burst of uh, excitement in in AS Roma (laughs) is starting to wear off. I'm going to uh, finish by going through uh, around around the group uh, and just get your thoughts. And I'll I'll end with you, James, as you're the Spurs. And I'll start with with the other chaps. Charlie, try and sum up the last 48 hours in the, you know, the ever turbulent often entertaining firework that is Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, it's crazy that 48 hours ago, as we record this, that that United game hadn't even started. Yeah, it has been pretty mad because it it just unraveled so quickly. You know, starting with the game, first half I thought both teams were bad. It had a kind of Sunday league feel. Teams with both Players from both teams were booting the ball up in the air. And then as soon as that first goal went in, you did just have the feel, this is re- this is getting ugly. And then the booing, the chanting, all of it, the kind of open revolt, the mutiny. 
you just felt that it had a real end of days feel. And then Nuno's, into, he just looked like a completely broken man. You know, you just get that feeling with certain games, certain defeats that they feel like there's no coming back from that. And you sense that changes would be afoot. That kind of grew yesterday, became more inevitable. And then the Conte thing, that's been another huge exciting element because obviously most Spurs fans would have had the fear that, okay, we've got rid of the manager, that's what we wanted. But what we absolutely don't want is another drawn out, embarrassing search for a manager where we're getting turned down by people and made to look stupid. So it's all just escalated very, very quickly. And it is mad to think that you know, as soon as Wednesday, quite possibly, we could be having a first Conte press conference and a first Conte game on Thursday. It's obviously been a pretty strange day, but then, you know, so is the Mourinho sacking and so is the Pochettino sacking. You know, it's always, it is always like this. I just think my main impression of, of the last 24 hours is that this is a very necessary correction to a bad mistake made in the summer. You know, appointing Nuno was a terrible mistake and maybe they had to do it at the time, but the fact they had to do it at the time was itself a, you know, a result of a series of terrible mistakes. They needed a much better manager, and now they finally got one. Um, I don't know how that is assuming that he does actually sign. I don't know how the Conte era will turn out, but I'm sure it gives Spurs a much better chance in the immediate term of competing, getting back into the Champions League and competing for trophies than it would have done if they'd start with Nuno. So in that sense, it's a you know very strange day for everyone, but I think probably a good one. I'll leave the last word, if I may, to you, uh, James, because um, less so than myself, but still already now, you've seen the Spurs managers come and the Spurs managers go. What's your feeling at the end of the Nuno? I can't even say era; it's too short to be an era. Let's just call it. Let's call it the interregnum, Nuno, the Nuno era, and the start of something else, maybe under Antonio Conte. It's all pretty standard stuff, really, isn't it? It's kind of it's kind of what you come to expect. Yeah, it's crazy. How, it's crazy how quickly that unraveled. And as Charlie said, I didn't even think they were that bad in the first fifty-five minutes of that game. And to be honest, if Spurs had scored first, I actually think they probably could have won three 0 rather than lost three 0 I do genuinely think that. Uh, we haven't really talked about the game on this, but Manchester United were quite bad, and they absolutely shat themselves, both with the starting formation they played and with the substitutions they were making. You know, they t- took Ronaldo off, took Bruno off, and chucked Matic on. At, I think two 0 I think even if Spurs had got a goal at 2-0, I think they would really, really seen their asses Manchester United. I think they were absolutely terrified. But that actually probably kind of underlined how bad it was that Spurs lost that game by that scoreline because uh, they really were there for the taking. So as crazy as it all is, I'm not surprised because it's Spurs and we've been there before. Are you happy that he's gone? Uh, yeah, it's a horrible thing to say, isn't it? Sure. But, you know, I, I, you know all, all the standard caveats that apply to yeah. these kind of things. He's a human I, being, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, I think it was the right decision and... Assuming they do manage to appoint Conte or, you know, a- another more suitable manager, I would be fairly content for now. Well, it's been an extraordinary 36, 48 hours. Who knows what the next 36 to 48 hours will hold? As uh, Charlie just said, um, we could be seeing uh, Antonio Conte uh, in one of those lilac training tops holding the press conference before the Europa Conference game. Poor Antonio, the Europa <laughs> Conference, by the way, everybody. Um, it, of course, it being Spurs, anything could happen between now and then. What does happen will be analysed, celebrated, laughed at and poked with sticks here on The View from the Lane, where we thank you for listening to us for the last 50 or so minutes. More next Thursday. The Athletic.